0: There are really four things that I want us to see in our text today uh, that I think have eternal implications. They most certainly have implications for us here and now, and as a result, when applied to our lives, they have eternal implications uh, for our friends and our family members, for our neighbors, our loved ones, for strangers, uh, but also for us. As well, And those four things that I want you to see in this text are, I want you to see friendship and the power of friendship. I want you to see faith and the power of faith. I want you to see forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And then I want you to see what our focus as a result of this passage of scripture, this this encounter that this man had with, with Jesus. And so we look today at our text and a message that I've entitled, The Paralyzed Man, Who walked home the day that the paralyzed man walked home? Today, you may have been um, in a certain condition walking through those doors, uh, but the beauty of the gospel that is extended to each and every one of us is that you don't have to be in that same condition when you walk out. Uh, Whatever might be binding you up, whatever chains may be around you, whatever sin you may find yourself in, whatever spiritual condition you may find yourself in, today you no longer have to remain in that. Uh, The same state and condition you walked into today does not have to be the same condition that you walk out. So the very first thing that I want you to see in, in this text is I want you to see the friends of the paralyzed man. So in Mark 2... Jesus uh, is recounting or, or scripture is recounting this encounter that Jesus has with this paralyzed man. Now, the, the, this man uh, is in Capernaum, the same place that, that, that Jesus uh, did miraculous healings and cast out many demons after he had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And it says that Jesus has returned home. Now, I, I believe that this home is probably the same home that he was in previously is Peter's mother-in-law's house. And that this is where he set up a base of operation in in this area. And he has returned home, it says in our text. That he's come back to to Capernaum. Now, maybe this paralytic man was in Capernaum and when Jesus was doing all of the miraculous healings previously uh, he was not able to get to Jesus or he was one of the individuals that uh, had lined up to be healed by Jesus but Jesus praying to God was sent to other uh, uh, villages and other towns to preach the message of repentance and believe to to heal other individuals and word gets to him either uh, by his friends or some other means that Jesus the individual who has Healed so many other people is now back in the house there in Capernaum. I don't know if it's his idea or if his friend's idea, but they undertake a mission to get this man to Jesus. He may leave again, he may not stay very long, and so there's an urgency within the life of this man and in the life of his friends to get him to Jesus and they come and they find the place that Jesus is is staying in and he's inside this house and is teaching now Luke's gospel says that there are many Pharisees and uh, scribes and religious leaders of the law that have come from all over they've come from Judea they come from Jerusalem they've come from the area of Galilee and they've come in to observe Jesus because of all the healings and all of the uh, uh, fame that is starting to, to, to rise behind the name of this Jesus of Nazareth, they come to inspect him themselves. In fact, many of the individuals that would have been in this house would have been individuals that came to inspect Jesus and his words And these four men with their friend on this mat, on this bed, on what we would look at as as more of a stretcher, um, a cot in some way, they pick him up and they bring him to this house that Jesus is in, but they cannot get into the house. It's too crowded. So as Jesus is teaching inside of the house, just imagine right now we're all sitting together in this sanctuary and and Jesus is here and we're all listening to Jesus and and we're all watching him teach. And then all of a sudden on, on the roof, we start to hear some noise up on the roof, some individuals that are walking up on the roof. We start to hear footsteps up on the roof. And before you know it, dirt starts to fall in on top of Jesus. And dirt starts to fall in on top of all of those that are around. And all of a sudden, it's not just little pebbles of dirt, but big chunks of the roof are now falling down. And now there is sunlight that is streaming through this roof. And before you know it, there is a hole the size that a man could be fit through. And a man on this cot lowered down slowly. In front of Jesus. I would love to know what the face of Jesus was in that moment. I'd love to know what the men's faces. As looked up and saw them maybe sheepishly. And somewhat awkwardly lowering this man down looking at Jesus. What was this man's face as he looked at Jesus. As he lowered down this sense of. Awkwardness, but yet there's something embedded in there that we will see in our text that surpassed all of the awkwardness, that surpassed all of any other feeling of shyness or any other feeling that the man may have had, and that was the feeling of faith that resided in this man's heart and in the heart of his friends. The power of friendship is a very powerful thing. It is something that God's word teaches on quite often. Now, before anything else happened, and if nothing else would have been done that day, even if Jesus would have rebuked these individuals and sent them away for interrupting him in his preaching, even if that would have taken place... This man still would have confirmed the fact that he was rich in friendship. The power of friendship is something that we all need. Now, God's word speaks of this uh, all throughout. Um, Proverbs especially Of the importance and the power of friendship Even within the life of the church God's word is always Talking about how we come Alongside one another and I would Pose to you that um, Friendship is one of the the most important Things that, that we have and it's one of the most Important things that we need and it's one of the most Important things that we can give However I will say this You can be friendly to everyone But you can't be friends with everyone you can be friendly to everyone, but you can't be friends with everyone. Now, now, you say, now, how does that work? As a follower of Jesus Christ, aren't I supposed to be friends with everybody? Listen, you're not supposed to shun anybody. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, was he not? He, he sat and he ate with them, the, the ones that the religious leaders wanted to ostracize and the ones that the religious leaders wanted to, to rebuke and the ones that the religious leaders thought that, that God had no love for. Jesus was found eating with them. Jesus was found uh, talking with them and conversing with them, touching them, doing things that the religious leaders said should not be done. But when you look at his life, there were 12 individuals that were the closest to him. And out of those 12, 11 of them were passionately following, although mistakenly at times, following after God through the revealed word of Jesus to them. And out of those 12, there were three specifically that were the closest to him. And each of those individuals recognized him as Christ, even though they mistook exactly what his mission was, but they were walking in the same direction together. Listen, Jesus says that you can only be my friend if you do what I command. John uh, sixteen fourteen. So although we are to be friendly and we are to be loving to each and every individual, we are not to receive counsel from just anybody. We are not to, to, to have that, that inner circle within our lives that are pouring into us and pouring into our marriage and pouring into our children if they are not followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, true biblical friendship is what God's word lays out as what is important for us to understand. Listen, if, if a young person comes to me, any individuals come to me and say that they want to get married and one of them is not a believer, I will not do the wedding. I won't do it because they are setting themselves up for so much turmoil and so much pain because they're walking in different directions yet. How many times within the life of our friends do we allow individuals to come in that have no relationship to Jesus Christ to speak into our lives worldly wisdom that is apart from biblical scripture and as a result, we actually find ourselves in positions that we shouldn't be in. Now again, that's not to say you don't uh, practice radical hospitality and open your home up and bring non-believers into your home, but what I'm saying is those close friends, Those 2,000 people that you have on your Facebook account, those close friends, those close individuals that that you lean on and that you listen to, listen, if they're not following after Jesus Christ, then they ultimately cannot be a true friend in the biblical sense as God designed and created it to be. Proverbs 18.24 warns us. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs twenty four twenty one says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. Do not join with those who do otherwise. Listen, biblical friendship is what is on display here in Mark chapter 2. Biblical friendship, if you're taking notes, is sanctifying. Listen, true biblical friendship, at the heart of it should be a desire for each other to be brought in closer proximity to Jesus. That I want to see you grow in your relationship. I want to see you come into a greater relationship with Jesus. I want to see you be more obedient to Jesus and that you would want that for me. And that we give each other permission when we are not actively pursuing that and we are taking worldly ways that lead us away from Jesus, that we would come alongside of each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you're going the wrong way that we give individuals permission to, to, to take us by the collar at times and, and to bring us back onto the path that Jesus has called us to. Biblical friendship is sanctifying. It has at the very heart of it a desire to see a closer relationship in the life of our friends than they currently have. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That that ought to be the goal within the life of friendship. Do you have those type of friends that are trying to set you up for success by drawing you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? That are holding you accountable so that you will have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. These men carry this man because they know if we get him to Jesus, things can change. That is true in ultimate friendship. They don't just say, hey, this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to make sure that all your bills are paid. We're going to make sure that you're taken care of, that you always have food, and they meet earthly needs. No, they say, listen, true friend, because I'm truly your friend and I love you. I want to get you to Jesus because I know Jesus is the answer. Secondly, we see that biblical friendship is sacrificial. Biblical friendship is sacrificial. It is something that will cost you something. Think about these men. Think about what they had to do. They had to, they had to carry this man from wherever they found him to wherever Jesus was staying. They had to carry this man. They encountered a a, a crowd and so they couldn't get in conveniently through the door. And so I I picture them as they lay this man down and they're trying to figure everything out. We got to get him to Jesus. And now maybe there's a little bit of panic that is starting to set in on this man's heart that, hey, I thought that this may be the day that my life is changed, that this may be the day where this man heals me and I can walk. And as they're sitting there discussing it, I don't know what to do. We go through the roof. Can't go through the roof. Why not? Let's just go through. There's no other way. Let's get this man to Jesus. Now, somebody had to pay for that roof to be restored. We don't think about that, do you? We just see the man healed in the text, and he's off and he's going. Peter's mother-in-law fits her house and saying, "Who's going to fix my roof?" Jesus, you better do something. Somebody had to pay for that. Somebody had to carry this man. Somebody had to get up on top of their roof. They had to dig through the roof to lower this man down. Listen, biblical friendship is sacrificial. It is something that we extend ourselves to so uh, we can be a support to others. Let me ask you a question. What obstacles do you need to remove in your life to more effectively bring the broken to Jesus? Oh, it'll cost you your time. It may even cost you some of your finances. It may even cost you some social status. But what are the obstacles in your life right now that are preventing you from bringing the broken to Jesus? More than not, I would say if all of us look and examine, it would be time. Our answer would be, "I I just don't have the time. And I would put forth to you to say, listen, you don't not have the time. The hour is growing darker and darker and darker, and the time is getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. Just like these four individuals. Listen, Jesus may get up and he may go to a village or a town at any point in time. He may leave at any point in time, and, and we need to get this man to him. We need to get our friend to Jesus as quick as possible. What obstacles do you need to remove in your life to more effectively bring the broken to Jesus? What do you need to say no to so you can say yes to bringing the broken to Jesus? Thirdly, biblical friendship is steadfast. And notice they don't give up. Notice that as they encounter obstacle after obstacle, they continue to try to find that way. Listen, true biblical friendship is steadfast. It is not fickle. It is not circumstantial. In fact, it's a picture when everybody else is, is leaving, you're staying. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says says this, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Are we being those type of friends in the moments of adversity when individuals find themselves where their lives are up in, in upheaval, that we step in to the fray, that we come alongside of them and we speak biblical truth into their lives? And we see that these, these friends of this paralyzed man, they go to uh, great lengths to make sure that this man encounters Jesus. And what Jesus sees in, in these individuals is he sees their, their faith. And secondly, we see that in the text, we see the faith of the five men. It says in verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, do you notice the plurality of that. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean that their faith saved this individual. The there is talking about all five of the men. When he saw their faith, the faith that the friends had, the faith that this, this man had, that this man was forgiven of his sins Jesus proclaims forgiveness of this man's sins and although our forgiveness is based solely upon our own individual faith being exercised in Jesus it is a picture of the power of true friendship and the faith of other individuals and the impact that their faith and our faith can have on our friends and our family members and our co-workers both positively and negatively. We must always be aware as ambassadors and representatives of Christ Jesus that other individuals, the world is looking at us. The world is watching us. And may they see in our lives such faith that they give God, uh, glory to God in heaven as a result. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 makes it clear that we are saved by faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, notice something about their their faith. First, their faith was confident. They, They had a confidence in their faith that if they could get this man to Jesus, Jesus was going to do something to radically change this man's life. They had no idea the spiritual level that this was going to happen on. Uh, They just knew that this man had healed other individuals of their physical infirmities, and they were going to get their friend to Jesus. They were going to get this man to Jesus because they wanted to see this man's life changed. And they were confident in the fact that if they could just get him to Jesus, that Jesus would do something miraculous in this man's life. Now, I will say this, that this is a miracle. Uh, And it is a miracle because it doesn't happen all the time. We'll see that here in a moment, that uh, this man's greatest need, and that's why Jesus interacts with him and makes the statements that he makes, that his greatest need is not physical, but it is spiritual. We see that. But here's a, a miracle, and we say oftentimes, well, why didn't it happen? Listen, if they happened all the time, they'd be called regulars. But these are miracles. This is something that God specifically chose to do in this moment. And their faith was confident. Do you have a confident faith in Jesus? Do you have a confident enough faith in Jesus that the proclamation of the gospel is the primary focus and should be the primary focus of your life? Are you confident enough in Jesus? See, oftentimes we try to put the confidence in ourselves. Do I know how to present the gospel well enough? Uh, do, do, do I know the Bible well enough? Uh, do, do, do I know how to engage somebody with the gospel well enough? And you're trying to put your confidence in yourself. And when you put your confidence in yourself, you're going to share the gospel with a lot fewer people than when you put your confidence in him and know that, listen, the word of God is the power unto salvation. And all I'm called to do is cast the seed. I'll leave everything else up to God Almighty. My confidence is in Jesus. My confidence is in my own ability to preach this morning. My confidence is in the ability of the microphone to work properly. My confidence isn't in anything else or anyone else. My confidence is in Jesus And my confidence is if I will proclaim the gospel, if I will just speak the truth of God's word, no matter how eloquently, no matter how articulate, no matter how that might be a lack of, no matter any of that, my confidence is in Jesus. And if our confidence is in Jesus, it strengthens us to live with a greater propensity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Their faith was also courageous. Listen, we need bold men and women of God displaying their faith stepping out in faith we need bold men and women of God that are courageous just as God's word tells us that we are to stand firm just as Joshua was instructed by God be courageous therefore I have called you to to stand strong we have a firm foundation we have a good gospel We have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives that we would be bolder in our witness. I know it can be intimidating. I know that uh, living a life of faith and stepping out in faith can, can be fearful at times. But God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity. He gave us a spirit of love. And he gave us a spirit of power, and he gave us a spirit of, of sound mind that we would live and exercise our lives underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit, live in bold lives. Listen, God is calling you to do something that is far beyond yourself. God is calling you to step out and share the gospel with a neighbor, God is calling you to start a Bible study. God is calling you to get involved in a community group. And the idea of being around individuals that that you don't really know and sharing and opening up and talking about the things of God completely intimidates you. God is calling you to start a ministry. God is calling you into full-time ministry. God is calling you to go on a mission trip. God is calling you to open your home for foster care or adoption. God is calling you to, to step out in faith in some kind of capacity. And I would encourage you to answer that call courageously and with boldness to do whatever it is that God has laid upon your heart. As scary as may seem and you'll sit down and you'll try to do the pros and the cons list. Let me tell you something. Me and my wife have figured out pretty early on you can't do math with God. It won't add up. It won't make sense. You'll look and you'll say, there's no way we can financially do this. There's no way we can do this. There's no way I can do that. Listen, if God is calling you to it, he will provide the means in which for you to carry it out and equip you with the ability to do so. He will. Their faith was courageous. It seemed crazy to a lot of other individuals. It seemed not to make any sense. You get to Jesus, I mean, it's crowded. What, what are you going to do? You're going to go up on the roof? You can't do that. And the world will always try to tell you when you try to draw closer to Jesus in bold faith, you can't do that. The enemy will always whisper, that won't work out. Listen, obey God above all things and watch what he does. Watch what he does when you place your obedience in his hands thirdly their faith was contagious their faith was contagious think about the man laying on this mound. when they say hey we're going to get you to jesus i mean there's probably a little bit of fear and trepidation like i, I mean i don't know what what are we going to do we're going to carry you over to jesus okay they're, they're carrying them over to jesus here's the crowd Game's up. Maybe we can wait out here. Maybe when the crowd leaves, maybe we'll get a glimpse of him. Maybe we'll be able to talk to him. Maybe. And they said, no, no, no. Maybe he's not good enough. We're going to make sure you encounter Jesus today. We're going to get up there on the roof. And we're going to dig through the roof to make sure that you encounter Jesus today. And I believe in that moment when he sees his friend say, listen, we're going to get up there and we're going to dig through the roof and you're going to meet Jesus today. I think his faith began to soar. I think his faith began to, to elevate because he saw the faith of his friend's And how it went into action, their their confidence and uh, their courageousness. It is contagious. When you live a life boldly for Jesus and your confidence is in Jesus, it is absolutely contagious. Look, Look at verse 12, what happens in our text. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Their faith began to spread all throughout the crowd of those that were witnessing what had transpired in that moment. Listen, church, when we live for God, when we live boldly for God, the world around us stands up to take notice. Now, is there pushback? absolutely there's going to be pushback but you know what else happens there are also individuals that are inspired and they see God at work in your life and they begin to wonder can God work in my life that way as well and we can use those moments to point them to God Almighty who will do for them that which he has done for us our faith is contagious but oftentimes we we want to try to keep it in a box why do you think the world is so fearful of the church living out the commands of the church? Because there is power in that, and it is contagious. That is why the gospel in this moment right now is being preached in Coweta, Oklahoma, after it had began 2,000 years ago in, uh, in Jerusalem, and it has spread all throughout the world because it is contagious. And we need to make sure that we are being faithful and confidence, and courage with our faith, because it will spread like wildfire. Thirdly, I want you to see, and I think this is the the main focus of this text, I want you to see the forgiveness of the Son of Man. The forgiveness that is extended by Jesus to this man. Now now notice, there was no no room, even at the door, to get through to see Jesus, verse 2, and... Now, when he says this, there's all kinds of Pharisees and religious leaders in the room, and they start to say in their heart and and maybe even amongst themselves, he's blaspheming. He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. He can't do this. Only God can forgive sins. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to prove to him the greater importance of his ministry. Listen, It was not the healings, and it was not the casting out of the demons. That's an aspect of it, but that's not the most important part of his ministry. The most important part of his ministry is repent and believe. The most important part of his ministry is that we are all in need of the forgiveness of our sins. Now, on the outside, everybody would look at this man and say, Man, I'll tell you, the most important thing that this man needs right now is the ability to walk. And if we're not careful, we'll settle for the lesser and forsake the greater because we miss out what our true and ultimate need is. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to show to everybody that he is God. That is the the focus of this passage ultimately is that Jesus is God because God, they are right. Their theology is right. God is the only one who can forgive sins. And when Jesus says that this man's sins are forgiven and they start to say, this man is blaspheming. He's going to show them through the demonstration of the healing of this man that he is is right on both accounts. That he is right to have the ability to say your sins are forgiven by showing that he has the ability to heal the physical as well. Now, they were saying he was blaspheming blaspheming because only God has the authority uh, to forgive sins. In fact, the terminology that that he uses uh, in Hebrew, uh, he would have been speaking in Hebrew, uh, that what he used is a term that is found over and over again in Leviticus 4 through 6. And it is God who is speaking that based on a blood atonement uh, that had transpired, that individual sins were forgiven. And he uses that same phrase that is found in Leviticus 4, 6 about a blood atonement uh, uh, taking away somebody's sins. And he is using it here. And these religious individuals would have understood that. They had the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Torah, uh, memorized. Now, I think it's interesting to see that when they first came to encounter Jesus, the doorway to Jesus was blocked. Listen, religion will always crowd out, will always crowd out those that are seeking Jesus because religion has no room for forgiveness. Religion has no room for forgiveness. Ultimately, there's not any true forgiveness to be found in religion. It's just more works. It's just more things that you have to do. It's more things that are compiled upon you that you have to do. It's about earning. And religion will always block the door to Jesus who says, let them come to me in childlike faith and I will forgive them of their sins. I will heal them of their brokenness, yes. But the ultimate need is not anything physical, but it is spiritual. You see, God's forgiveness is essential, and that's what he's trying to teach everybody that was present there that day, and that's what he was trying to teach this man that was before him. Is that I'm sure in his life, his understanding was his greatest need, his life would ultimately be changed if he was able to regain the use of his legs. And what Jesus is going to show him is, yes, that will radically transform your life, but it won't radically transform your eternity. Your greater need is not the physical, but it is the spiritual. And just as that greatest man's need was spiritual and not physical, so too all of humanity's greatest need is spiritual and not physical. Listen, in light of eternity, the physical healing of a present mortal body pales in comparison to the spiritual healing of a sin-sick soul. It pales in the comparison. But how often do we settle for the lesser at the expense of the greater? How often, when we look and examine our prayers, are they all based upon the physical world around us and not the spiritual world that is to come? If God answered every one of your prayers this week that you prayed, how different. Would eternity look? How different would the world look? Your lives may look. Our lives may look a lot different. But what about the lives of the lost? If God said, I will answer every prayer you prayed this week, how many lost individuals were you praying for that would now know Jesus Christ because he answered your prayer? And how often do we settle for the lesser at the expense of the greater, praying for all of the physical things around us at the expense of the greater that is to come? Listen, God's forgiveness is essential. His ultimate need was not healing from God, but holiness before God. Do you understand the reality of the gospel? And individual's needs, their greatest needs are not healing from God, but holiness before God. That is their greatest need. That is our greatest need. It is not physical healing. It is the ability to stand in holiness before a perfect and a holy God. And that can only be achieved through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a story of a man named George Wilson. In 1829, him and a friend of his uh, robbed a uh, United States postal worker uh, and killed this man. And they both, in 1830, were sentenced to death by hanging. And this man's friend was had that conviction carried out, and and he was he was killed uh, by hanging. Now, George Wilson, he had some influential friends that knew the president at the time, Andrew Jackson. And they spoke on his behalf to to Andrew Jackson. And there's a deal that presidents can do every year. They can sign a pardon that frees an individual from what it was that they were charged for. And so he got a presidential pardon that would excuse him of the death sentence, but uh, for the other crimes, it would commute the, the crime that he committed that he was sentenced to death for. Uh, but he had to serve out a few of the, the, the other crimes. Uh, ultimately, I think it was about 20 years he would have to serve, uh, and then he could be freed. And he refused it. He was filled with so much guilt and so much shame. That he refused this presidential pardon. They were so confused as to what to do. Can he refuse it? I mean, can he he say no to this? That it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court Justice John Marshall ruled that the pardon is only in effect if it is received by the one who is being pardoned. And this man, George Wilson, sat in prison. Long after the time he was to be freed, and ultimately he was executed as a result of his crimes, and he died a free man. Everybody in this room has a pardon by God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only reason why you will remain in prison is because you refuse to receive that pardon that has been granted to you by God Almighty. How many individuals will spend life separated from God for all of eternity, and they will go into the pits of hell, pardoned men and women, individuals who had been given a pardon but never received it in faith, never took hold of it. How many individuals, because of their own pride, And because they think that they deserve something other than what God says he will give, will spend eternity separated from. Listen, you don't have to live in a prison any longer. You don't have to live shackled up in your sin anymore. Jesus Christ died to forgive you of those sins. And your greatest need is not God to work in some kind of physical act within this life. It's not some financial thing that you need. It's not some physical healing that you need. It's not redemption in your marriage. It's not that wayward child coming back. All of those things are important, but they are not essential to eternity. What is essential to eternity is your faith in Jesus Christ and his crucifixion on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Secondly, God's forgiveness is eternal. In other words, he doesn't ever take it back. Once it is extended to you, you are forgiven. He holds you in his righteous right hand and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. My pastor, uh, that I came to faith uh, underneath his preaching and his mentorship. He used to talk about the fact that God's not walking around just dropping saints out of his pocket everywhere that he goes. Oh, I lost one. Oh, there goes another one. Oh, Jill went by the wayside. Oh, Steve is over there. If he holds you in his righteous right hand, he will never lose you. He holds on to you for all of eternity. When his forgiveness is extended to you, then it is forgiveness that is eternal in nature because Jesus has the last word. Satan doesn't get the last word. The demons don't get a last word. This world doesn't get the last word. Your infirmities don't get a last word. Your your, your belief about yourself doesn't get the last word. Other individuals' belief about you doesn't get the last word. Jesus has the last word. And those that he has set free are free indeed. If he says that you are free, forgiven then you are forgiven that we would all understand that reality listen the good news of the gospel of jesus christ is not that god will heal you of all of your sicknesses now the good news of the gospel of jesus christ is that jesus will forgive you of all of your sins forever That's the good news of the gospel. It's not that he will heal you of all of your sicknesses and diseases now, but that he will forgive you of all of your sins forever. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why when we preach something other than that, we cheapen it. When we preach this this idea that, that God just wants everybody to be rich, and if you have enough faith, then you'll be healed, and all these other crazy things that they try to import into the gospel to make it the focus, of the gospel is totally and ultimately blasphemous because it cheapens the gospel that says that's not your greatest need the greatest need that you have is not a bigger bank account it's not greater health it's not more status and power here on this earth that will fade away one day your greatest need is that you are separated from God by your sin and through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross you have now through faith in him been brought near to him and your sins are forgiven forever Don't settle for the lesser at the expense of the greater. Thirdly, God's forgiveness is to be extended. It's to be extended. The same grace that has been given to us, we need to extend to others. We love because he first loved us. In Matthew 18, we encounter the the servant who is forgiven a large sum of money only to go out and start choking a man who owns him a penance of of what it is uh, that he owed the king. And oftentimes that's what our life looks. We've been forgiven by Christ, but we hold a grudge and we have bitterness in our heart towards everybody else. And God says that we are to forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. If you're holding on to bitterness in your heart because somebody has slighted you or your family, It's not to negate that what had transpired is real. And it's not to condone what it is that they have done. But we must be individuals of radical forgiveness. If we say we follow after a savior who extended to us radical forgiveness. How did Christ forgive us? Partially. I forgive you for these things, but I don't forgive you that he forgave us completely. Those individuals that have maligned you, those individuals that have stabbed you in the back, those individuals that have harmed you and your family, listen, you have to let that go. It's been often said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. You must let that bitterness that is taking root in your heart go because it will crowd out what God wants to do in your life. Lastly, what about us? Uh, the focus of every believer, as we look at this, this text. And Jesus shows these individuals by healing this man and this man walking out, proving that, yes, I do have, the Son of Man does have the power to forgive sins, and I will prove it to you because I will heal this man. Now, you think about that. When he stood up, you think about the awe that washed over the room. And you think about this man. It says that he rose, he picked up his mat, and he went home. Walking for the first time in, in, in the Lord knows how long. Walking through the streets that he used to be carried through. Now he is walking on his own two legs. That he's, I, I would venture to say that, that this man's life had been changed. But I wonder to what degree. What did he do with that newfound life? Not only physically but spiritually. And I think that there is... Something for each and every one of us that we need to lean into today. The focus of every believer. Hebrews twelve one through 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let that be our focus. Let us run our race with endurance let us be those, those friends that the Bible proclaims us to be. Let us be those bold men and women of, of faith. Let us be those individuals who take the forgiveness that God has given to us and extend it to others. Let us run that race. Let us keep our focus in on Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let, let us live sacrificial lives to the holy, pleasing uh, uh, eyes of God. But may we focus on sharing the gospel. May that be our focus. May our focus be bringing those individuals that are broken, uh, bring them to Jesus. May our focus be on sharing the gospel. Uh, May 31st, that Wednesday evening, we're we're going to have um, some some evangelism training here at the church. Uh, I'd love for each and every individual to come and to learn how to share the gospel Uh, and, and to, to work on sharing the gospel and then starting June 14th, all through the summer, uh, we are going to go through various neighborhoods here in our community and we are going to do something that many people just a mere mention of is going to strike fear in your heart. We're going to knock on the doors of people's homes and we're going to ask them, is there anything that we can pray about for you? And if God so opens the door for us to share the gospel, we are going to share the gospel with those individuals. And I know that there's a lot of individuals that think, oh, that won't work anymore, that won't work anymore, and then we'll go on a foreign mission trip and do that the whole time they're on the mission trip and come back. Uh, Listen, if it works, it'll work here. I I, I promise you, don't put your confidence in yourself or in some type of strategy. Put your confidence in Jesus. I guarantee you that there are individuals that are, are praying for God to send them somebody to share the gospel with them. Let us be those individuals that are found faithful to go and to share the gospel with those individuals. May we be bold in, in, in our witness. May we let this community know that it's not just come to us. Hey, if you're free on a Sunday morning, come to us. If it so happens that you can make it here, come to us. No, let us go and take the gospel to them. Let us go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And so starting June 14th, we're, we're going to go throughout neighborhoods and we're going to knock on individual's door for, for about an hour, hour and a half. Not on one door for that long, but we're going to knock on individual's doors. God says persistence. You ever read the story about the, the widow, right, that came to the lawyer? Okay, we'll get to that one. We're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with individuals. And I think there's a fear and a trepidation that comes because far too often we focus on how, how dark the world is instead of how great the word is. Oh, but the, wor- but the world is so dark. The world is so scary. You can't go to somebody's door. Listen, stop focusing on how dark the world is and start focusing on how great the word is. That we would live and operate out of the understanding that we have what it is that the world needs. Let us not be found to keep it to ourselves. If we had the cure of cancer and you knew somebody that was dying of cancer, would you not be bold enough to knock on their door? Well, I'll tell you, you have something far greater than the cure of cancer right here. Would we not be bold enough to go and knock on somebody's door and say, I have what it is that you need? The sad reality is oftentimes I don't think we fully appreciate what we have. And we don't fully appreciate the urgent need that others have. Secondly, we need to focus on serving the broken. Listen, the greatest need is spiritual, but that's not to say that we need to neglect the physical needs of those that are around us. It's just not the most important. We need to serve the broken. We need to come alongside of those individuals that, that are broken, and we need to, to love them, and we need to try to meet the needs of those individuals that, that they have. Now, think about the Pharisees that were present. They were the religious leaders. They were the representatives of God. They, they should have been directing traffic to Jesus instead of blocking the door that got to Jesus. They should have reached up to help to lower the man down, but instead they watched with indifference. We need to come alongside individuals in the world around us and we need to come alongside of them and we need to pour into them and we need to help meet those needs that they have within their lives as best as we possibly can. May we not stare at them with indifference, but may we come alongside of them and love on them and bind up their wounds and pour the healing oil of the gospel upon them. And may we deliver them and follow back up and be those good Samaritans that God's word teaches of. Lastly. We need to focus on the satisfaction found in Christ. I often think of this man's life two, three years after this event had taken place. And he's back into the day in, day out. He's he's grown used to having his legs now. Maybe he's began to take them for granted because that's what we do as humans. We take the very blessings of God and we start to take them for granted. And life begins to get a little dull and life begins to get a little gray and life begins to get a little tedious and we start to wonder where is God at in the midst of all of this. And all the while we're walking around on the restored legs of God that he has given to us. And sometimes we lose the satisfaction that is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in here today and you've lost that joy. Focus on the satisfaction of Christ. And you say, I look at the world around me and I look what's going on in my own life. I look what's going on in my own home. And honestly, I'm beat up. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm broken. May I point back? To Isaiah 35, to what the future is for each and every believer that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus, because this world will one day give way to that. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the Caracas. Shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunts of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools they shall not go astray. No line shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it they shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign shall flee away that is the destiny of every believer oh it may be dark at night but there's joy in the morning just as this paralyzed man started the day broken, he ended the day healed. And there is coming one day where all that is broken in the blink of an eye will be completely healed. God's word tells us in our text that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick the day that he encountered the paralyzed man. The same power is present here today to heal you of your sin sick soul if you will but repent and believe the same power is present here today to change everything to free you from your cell to free you from your bondage to free you from your sin to give you eternal life to give you forgiveness of your sins and to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus